The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey there. Thanks for tuning back into the Book of Mormon podcast. You have your host, Kevin and Shelby here. Say hi, Kev. Hey there. <laughs> and we are, what is this, episode 112. We're in Alma chapter 22, and we're excited to be here. But before we start, we'll recap where we left off last week um, just to catch up or remind you because it's been a whole week since you last listened. Um, so basically last week at towards the end of the chapter two, um, King, no, yes, King Lamoni. Sorry, I almost said King Lamoni's father. King Lamoni himself and his people, they have been given religious freedom and they have basically established uh, a righteous there's a righteous people, you know, keeping the commandments of God and doing all the things. And so there's religious freedom going on there. And I guess that's how I would summarize how that ended. Would you add anything? And also the church has been established there. Thank you. That's what I meant by commandment keeping people. <laughs> but yes, that happened too. So that's King Lamoni in the land of Ishmael, correct? Mm -hmm. So there's that. And that's where Ammon was as well. And now we're jumping into Alma 22, and we're going to follow the story of Aaron. And Aaron was released from prison, uh, remember, by Ammon and Lamoni. And so now Aaron is taking his journey to um, the land of Nephi, which is where King Lamoni's father reigns. That's his portion of the land i don't know how you want to say it. his territory well and and his father is actually the king over all the land yes so he's the he's the guy he's the top king the head honcho which we might call like an emperor yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> i mean he's called a king but i'm yeah. just saying like if you think of like an emperor and then he many kings below him right so he's like the chief king so that's where we're going right now is we're going to have, we're going to hear that story. We're going to talk about it with Aaron uh, and Lamoni, King Lamoni's father. So basically I already summed up verse one there, but Aaron um, is led by the spirit to the land of Nephi. So, and that's where Lamoni is at is in, is in that land. So I did have notes here. And the only note that I tagged to that was divine design because we talk about that a lot, and we've brought it up through these missionary chapters. Well, and the whole Book of Mormon, really. But people are placed and led by the Spirit all the time to be divinely designed to be prepared or learn or teach or whatever it is. And it's the same thing in our lives. And so I always like to just tag the divine design moments in the Book of Mormon because we get one here. What are the chances that Aaron goes to Nephi, you know? The land of Nephi. So that's really interesting. What I was going to say was <laughs> um, how ambitious 
of Aaron to go oh. after being imprisoned um, by the Lamanites to go to their king, their top guy, and mm-hmm. try to convert him. Or try to preach to him. Definitely a different perspective. So that's interesting because how how I'm reading it now, um, it nowhere does it say that Aaron uh, decided to go there of his own like of his own mind. Mm. He it says he was led by the spirit to the land of Nephi, even to the house of the king, which was over all the land, save it were the oh, land of Ishmael, true. and he was the father of Lamoni. So. And so, yeah, he come he comes to the king's palace, mm-hmm. goes right in with <laughs> with his brethren. He's not by himself. Um, so, also the other brethren, like his brethren, are also the same uh, people who were in prison as well. So, you know, that it's it's just kind of it's astounding, and and the faith that they must have had, because certainly when they got there, they must have inquired of the people um, and then to realize that, Oh, we came to the capital of the, the empire of the Lamanites. Wow. So this is where the spirit wants us to work. That must've been daunting, but based on their experiences thus far, uh, they definitely knew they were in the right place. Yeah. And he name drops when he gets to the King, he says, behold, O King, we are the brethren of Ammon, right? So he name drops Ammon, uh, who thou hast delivered out of prison. And he continues on to say, you know, like he takes Ammon's approach that he did with his son, Lamoni. And he takes the approach of, if that will spare our lives, we will be thy servants. And he says, what does he say? I think he, yeah, he says, I will... Let me just read it. And the king said unto them, Arise, for I will grant unto you your lives, and I will not suffer that ye shall be my servants. That's what I was going to say, but I didn't want to speak too soon. So I just want to read it. <laughs> but it says, I will insist that ye shall administer unto me, for I have been somewhat troubled in mind because of the generosity and the greatness of the words of thy brother Ammon. So it's a good thing that he name-dropped Ammon, in my opinion. <laughs> and he said, I desired to know the cause why ha- why he has not come up out of Madonai with thee. So he's wondering, where's Ammon? Why isn't he here yeah, with y'all? In the last chapter, when King Lamoni and Ammon parted ways from his father, um, the, the king over all the land actually invited mm-hmm. Ammon to, to come and teach him as well. And so, yeah, he's probably been waiting, and now he gets Aaron. some other teachers. Yeah, who are associated with Ammon, right? Right. Um, and so Aaron says, Aaron tells the king that the spirit t- took him another way. So he's actually in the land of Ishmael to teach the people of Lamoni, so his son. No. And so then, because Aaron's there, the king ask a question but i feel like kevin has something to say (laughs) it's really interesting because it says that the spirit of the lord called ammon another way and you know this reminds me of another ammon in the scriptures back in the book of mosiah the ammon that found the people of limhi okay 
different Ammons. Um, I think I may have once thought it was the same Ammons, but the timeline doesn't quite work work with that. Yeah, it's it was a different Ammon. And when he came across the people of Limhi in the, um, what, I guess they were also in the land of Nephi at the time, trying to get back the land of their first inheritance. Ammon did not baptize King Limhi or any of his people. Mm-hmm. He waited for Alma to do that. Yeah. And so you kind of see how, you know, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to know where your authority begins and ends. And that's ultimately determined by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will let you know what your what your responsibilities are if you are uh, fasting and praying and, and living the gospel. And the reason that I kind of bring that up is, not to go off topic, but here's Aaron coming to the king. The king was expecting Ammon, and he may have had this belief that Ammon is the guy, Mm. right? But it's not about Ammon. It's about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so if Ammon had come to administer unto Lamoni's father, maybe... There would have been some, uh, there there would have been something in the way of the Savior and King Lamoni's father, because he has this relationship with Ammon, right? Mm-hmm. But now it's Aaron, and Aaron, all he he's filled with the Spirit. He's going to teach true principles and doctrine, but uh, Lamoni's father doesn't know him from Adam, so to speak. <laughs> right? True. He just knows, oh, he was he was the apparently some guy who was in prison, but I've never met him. Um, if I'm correct, Lamoni's father had really nothing to do with delivering them out of prison because that was Ammon and Lamoni themselves that went to Madoni and had them released. True. So I mean this this is pretty far removed. So again I th- it, what I'm really saying is that it was expedient that Aaron was the one to come to King Lamoni's father <laughs> and teach him these things. Yeah. I mean, it has to be. It happened, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but I will say I don't see any hesitation from King Lamoni himself here or his father, I don't see any hesitation at all or like perceived because as soon as Aaron says, you know, like, well, Ammon's in Ishmael in the land of Ishmael, the king immediately is just like, well, what is this that ye have said concerning the spirit of the Lord? This is the thing which does trouble me. Mm. So I don't sense any like hesitation. He just really wants to know, okay, well, if Ammon's not here, can you answer my questions? (laughs) Yeah, very good. Very good insight there. Um, he's been prepared. Yes. Yeah. Divine design. He is prepared for that by Ammon, right? And his son. But now Aaron's here and he trusts these men. I mean, he knows they all know each other in some way or form or associated and know about this great spirit. So he's like, well, then you tell me. Like, I'm ready to learn. 
And so um, Aaron does. Aaron will teach him. And he also asks another question in verse 6. If He says, and also, what is this that Ammon said? If you will repent, you shall be saved. And if you will not repent, you shall be cast off at the last day. So he has like two questions here. He's he's troubled about the spirit of the Lord and then this whole repentance thing. And so Aaron is going to teach him here, which is really cool because it's very similar to the way that Ammon taught his son, which a lot of correlation. Yeah. A lot of good questions. The, the, the phrase, something troubles me. I think today we would think that as like a, oh, that's a concern or like something doesn't seem right. It's troubling. Um, but I don't think that's exactly what it means here in this context. The, the mm-hmm. troubling um, that Lamoni's father is experiencing, I, I, I think it's different for everybody. But I want to share my experience with being troubled by something. Is it kind of like godly sorrow? I thought that at first. Mm. But then it's really interesting that you say that because I wrote um, in my margins next to verse 3 when it says, For I have been somewhat troubled in mind because of the generosity and the greatness of the words of thy brother Ammon. I first wrote godly sorrow, question mark. (laughs) And then a second reading, I put maybe, but when our hearts are pricked, like the scriptures say, mm-hmm. we feel the need to repent. We need to feel, we, we feel the need to do something and that, that can be described as godly sorrow. Um, godly sorrow is that the, it leads when, you to repent. right. We, we feel bad, um, by what we've done the things that we've done contrary to the will of God, even if we don't completely understand the gospel yet, even if we're just learning about the gospel. And some people experience godly sorrow having never heard the name of Jesus Christ. They just know in their, because of the light of Christ, which is in every man and woman, that what they've done is wrong. And so they they seek reconciliation with some higher power or with uh, their fellow man, so on and so forth. Um. The reason I've been taught that it's called God, godly sorrow is because it is the the sorrow God has knowing that he will never see you again if you do not repent because you've estranged yourself from him. Okay. Now we know that because of our Savior, we will see God again in the flesh. Um, we want to be our best selves, though. Uh, I digress. The, this this phrase being troubled when I was first introduced to the missionaries something about them uh, kind of made me interested and I didn't know how to feel about it I was like what what, is, what are these guys doing like what's with these guys you know trying to figure them out trying to figure them out they've said some things that I kind of like but they also are kind of weird, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and those weren't even the missionaries who taught and baptized me. Those, those were the first set of elders that I met um, around this time 
of year, actually, um, 11 years ago, I think. So, um, I, yeah, 11 years or so, like 11 and a half years. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, an- another thing I think is that our, our friend Alyssa, mm-hmm. you know, she had some exposure to the church and the Book of Mormon, and it troubled her mm-hmm. because she felt something that she had been told not to feel or something that she had been told, like, cause she had, she had received a lot of, um, resistance mm-hmm. like, Oh, that, that church isn't true. You know, they, they believe in another Jesus. Like don't, don't go over there. Mm-hmm. And yet something inside her said, no, I, I need to learn more about this. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I think this means. I wanted to give those examples of, of being troubled in mind. And I hope I didn't go too off, off base there. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts? I didn't really have any thoughts on that. Okay. Well, good. Cause I had a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so we've, we, I think we've got it covered. <laughs> we balanced out. <laughs> I, I had more thoughts on the, the questions that Aaron yeah. asked and also King Lamoni asked um, moving forward. So we left off, uh, I think it's verse seven. Yeah. So he has those two questions being troubled, right? That Kevin just went into. And Aaron goes to answer him and he asks, Believest thou that there is a God? And King Lamoni replies and he says, I know that the Amalekites say that there is a God, and I have granted unto them that they should build sanctuaries. They may assemble themselves together to worship. And which is interesting. So he's like, well, I know that these people say there is and they have the freedom to do so. And he goes and then he adds this caveat at the end that says, if and if now thou sayest there is a God, behold, I will believe. So I I thought that was just interesting that he first like diverts to somebody else who believes in it. Right. (laughs) And then he's like, but if you say there is, I, I will believe it. Right which I think is pretty cool. Um, and so when Aaron hears the king willing to believe these things, um, his it says his heart began to rejoice. And he is, it says, Behold, assuredly, as thou livest, O king, there is a God. So what a joyous thing to say, to tell somebody, like, yes, there is a God, right? And you know that this person's going to believe you, like, fully. That's that's a cool, a cool feeling, which I like. Um, how it says Aaron's heart, his heart began to rejoice because his desires are being fulfilled. Right. Um, but the King has some questions about who God is and he's, and it's the same as what his son had asked is God, that great spirit that brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem. So this is how, um, this is where I began to think about like missionary work and how we teach. And so I just kind of wanted to like go off, here for just a second off script or off the story, but teaching, you know, you're teaching pretty well, or I want to say, you know, the person when you're teaching and they're asking questions back, like questions like this, you know, for clarification, that's a pretty good sign that they're engaged in their understanding. And we see that throughout 
the king's encounter here, but also we saw it with King Lomoni too. He asked a lot of questions as well. And so he says there's a God and then he then wants to know more. So we ask a question and um, Aaron answers his question by saying, yes, that is a great spirit. Um, and he's created all the things in heaven and in earth. Do you believe this? Right. And he replies and says, I believe that the great spirit created all things. And, and I desire that you should tell me concerning all these things. And I will believe thy words. So once again, he says, I'm going to believe whatever you tell me. And this just opens up the floodgates, I feel like, for Aaron to just explain everything about our Savior Jesus Christ, the plan of salvation, um, his resurrection, you know, the fact that we can repent from our sins because of him and all these things. So I just think it's really cool. The questions are so similar and they teach to understanding. Yeah. Um, those are kind of my thoughts on that little inner exchange here. Cause soon Aaron's going to expound and answer all his questions. Hmm. What Do you I have th- any thoughts there? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You were about to talk. What I thought was interesting is that Lamoni's father is so willing to base his faith on what Aaron believes. And well, that's one reading of it. Right. Mm -hmm. You could read it as saying, man, Lamona's father just seems to be buying into anything that Aaron Mm -hmm. says. Um, He's not he's not actually exercising any faith of his own. Right. Or or something Mm -hmm. like that. And the the reason I bring it up is that that's reminiscent of maybe uh, a child relying on the faith of their parents until a point at which they can become um, strong in their own faith build their own foundation. Hmm. There was a recent, I don't remember if it was a general conference talk or a devotional recently. I feel like it was directed toward the youth because it was talking about, and maybe it was a stake conference or like a stake youth thing, but it talked about basing, you know, it's okay to base your faith on the faith of others and their Hmm. experiences because that's what the scriptures are. Mm-hmm. You know, like, don't feel bad that, well, I'm I'm really relying on the faith of my parents or my wife or my husband mm-hmm. until I get more strength of my own. And I wanted to, to cite a future chapter in the Book of Mormon, Alma 32, mm-hmm. which is all about faith. We're going to get there and I bet we're going to spend two whole podcasts on that chapter when we get there. Mm-hmm. But in that chapter... 32 verse 27. Um, I'm going to go into 26 too. So 26 and 27. And I'm just going to read it. And this is kind of out of context, but we'll, I think we'll, we'll be able to see where I'm going with it. Mm-hmm. He says, now, as I said concerning faith, that it was not a perfect knowledge. Even so it is with my words. You cannot know of their surety at first unto perfection any more than faith is a perfect knowledge. So obviously faith is not supposed to be some uh, great certainty, right? Mm -hmm. However, he says, but behold, if you will awake and arouse your faculties, even to an experiment upon my words 
and exercise a particle of faith. Mm-hmm. Yea, even if you can no more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, even until you believe in a manner that ye can give place for a portion of my words. Can you, you know, and, and of course that's in scripture language, but you can kind of hear an, an earnest parent speaking to their child, maybe a, an adolescent who doesn't know if they want to go to church anymore. They have some concerns. Their friends don't really believe what the church believes, you know, or, 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 you know, states. And that earnest parent is just asking their child, you know, listen, just, just arouse your faculties, your, your mind, your, your gut instinct, get them working and experiment upon my words, upon the things that I believe and the things that our church teaches. And even if you can, even if it's just a desire to believe, um, then let that desire work in you. And as it works in you, you'll receive more space or more room for more of those words. And then, you know, eventually that's what you believe too. And, and so I, I see that in real time in this story with Lamoni's father, right? He's saying, well, I know that the Amalekites say that there's a God and, uh, you know, you're, you're saying that there's God. So if you say it, I'm, I'll believe it. Like mm-hmm. I'll, I want to exercising his faculties. Right. And he's giving a portion, uh, allowing for a portion of the word in, in, in him. And, uh, he goes on to do the same thing in, in each of those questions and answers. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I also just want to add that someone taught me in Alma 32 that even if you have start with the desire to even desire to want to know, <laughs> that's good too. So just had to throw that in there. Um, I really like that you shared that about the king because it is a real life action here. <laughs> but moving on in the story here in verse 12, um, Aaron answers all his questions and he begins to do this from the creation of Adam, reading the scriptures unto the king. So he expounds. Oh, and in verse 13, it says Aaron did expound unto him the scriptures. So I link this to chapter 10. How can I improve my teaching skills in, in preach my gospel? And here it says, your ability to teach with power from the scriptures comes in large measure from the time you personally spend studying them. <laughs> so I took this from the perspective of Aaron. He can't teach anything <laughs> from the scriptures unless he doesn't know them, right? He doesn't, like he has to know the stories and has to know the doctrine and the things. And so as we as missionaries and members, when people ask about our faith and and things, the more we are reading our scriptures personally, the more we're going to be able to expound things to other people. Um, and that's exactly what Aaron's doing here because he does feast on the scriptures and he's able to expound basically what the chapter heading said. Uh, Aaron teaches the one his father about the creation, the fall of Adam and the plan of redemption through Christ. <laughs> 
So if I could sum that up perfectly, that's what I would say. So he just lays everything out for him. And once, do you have anything to say about that? Only that that seems to be lesson one for, <laughs> for the... Oh, yeah, we talked about that last week. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about last week how the, the creation, uh, the fall of Adam and Eve, and the whole plan of salvation um, or plan of redemption, as it's called in these, these chapters, seems to be the first thing that these missionary prophets are teaching mm -hmm. uh, before anything else to the Lamanites. It's the doctrine. Well, yeah. It's the good news. So after he learns all these things, the king learns it all, it says he asks a question, and I know Kevin has a lot of thoughts on this because we've actually talked about it this week a lot. And he asks a question in, in verse 15. He says, What shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Yea, what shall I do that I may be born of God, having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast, and receive his spirit, that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast off at the last day? Behold, said he, I will give up all that I possess. Yea, I will forsake my kingdom, that I may receive this great joy. So I just need to point out here really quick, he's understanding really well, as I said earlier, based on the questions he's asking Aaron right now. And so once again, I linked chapter 10. It says good questions can lead people to ask you questions when they don't understand, when they have a concern, or when they want to know what to do. So we see that here in verse 15, that this is a situation where the questions that were being asked, he wanted to know what to do. And I want to read one more thing from chapter 10. It also says, good questions can help those you teach share their feelings and by so doing discover a growing testimony. So this is like the ultimate example of asking questions for missionary work, in my opinion. And so we see it here by the questions that King Lamoni asked, or the king, you, you guys know what I mean, King Lamoni's <laughs> father. But yeah, so I just, I just love that connection to missionary work and just this desire that we see in the king. He's like, all right, I, I know now, and now I want to do something. Yeah. So. I like this um, this duality that you and I have taken on for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Because you are studying this chapter from the missionary side of things, like, mm -hmm. and the the teaching side of it. Yeah. And um, as a a pondering man, <laughs> as as you've called me before, yeah. I'm looking at things a little bit more introspectively. And, mm. um, like how, how does this relate to my spiritual growth? Mm. So you're thinking about the missionary and I'm thinking about the convert in a way. Oh yeah. Right. Which are both so important. Like now we've got the whole story, right? <laughs> and you're right. I, I did. I've thought about this verse a lot this week. Oh, um, yeah. and even before that last week when I knew it was coming, because this is, this is one of the the very famous uh, verses 
in the Book of Mormon. Well, yeah, that last part when he says, I will give up all that I possess, yea, I will forsake my kingdom, that I may receive this great joy. So this is some serious stuff going on. Remember that to save his life, King Lamoni's father was only willing to give away half his kingdom <laughs> when he thought Ammon was going to kill him. That's true. That's a good connection to draw. So he's willing to give up all of his kingdom in order to know God. All he possesses. And this last general conference, there was a talk given by our beloved elder Jeffrey R. Holland hmm. uh, called The Greatest Possession. And he, he began his talk referencing the New Testament story of the rich young ruler. And it's in Mark. Um, as well as other accounts in, in the New Testament. But I, I tend to go to the Mark account. It's in chapter 10. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few verses from that. Uh, beginning in verse 17. And when he was gone forth, Jesus, uh, that is, gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Going to verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Hmm. and there's more to that story there's we could have uh you know a 20 minute conversation on all the things that we could dig out of that scriptural account but you see that the young rich ruler um he was not willing to give all he possessed um and for whatever reason he wasn't really prepared wasn't prepared to make that sacrifice and i started i, I started to ask myself what did lamoni's father know mm. that the young rich ruler uh didn't right mm -hmm. and what i kind of came to the um conclusion conclusion do you remember what what i i talked about yesterday in the car yeah but i can't remember what you said at the end there because we had a lot of discussion on yeah. this, but you you did summarize it at the end, and you said, "Oh, intent, right? right? Something about intent." Yeah. You said the young rich ruler, his intent. Oh, he was only willing to do or keep the commandments by the law per se, right? right. Like I'll do everything that's written, right? Um, which is exactly how he came to Jesus and asked, right? Like, I've done all these things, what more can I do? Yeah, I guess it is expedient. You know, I skipped three verses um, only because that's what I linked in my scriptures because I wanted to get, like, the the basic idea. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, there are those verses that I skipped in the, in the Mark account, which is um, Jesus asked him, you know, well, do you, do you keep the commandments? Mm-hmm. 
and he listed the Ten Commandments. Right. And the young ruler said, well, yeah, I, I do all those. What what else do I need to do? <clears throat> and so what I, what I thought was, here's the rich young ruler. He's probably had um, the law taught to him from his youth, right? As a, as a Hebrew man there in, in Galilee. And, but he's only willing to do, like Shelby said, what's, what's written, what's written, what's required. Yeah. And hang on a second. Nowhere does it say that I have to give up all I possess. Mm -hmm. So I'm not willing to do anything extra. Mm -hmm. However, Lamoni's father, he was willing to go the extra uh, mile or the, he, he had the intent to mm-hmm. do whatever it was was necessary to know God. Mm-hmm. And if I may, I want to go ahead and put in a, a clip from Elder Holland's talk right here. Okay, let's listen. Brothers and sisters, I pray we will succeed where that rich young man failed that we will take up the cross of Christ, however demanding it may be, regardless of the issue and regardless of the cost, I bear witness that when we pledge to follow Him, the path will, one way or another, pass by way of a crown of thorns and a stark Roman cross. No matter how wealthy our young ruler was, he wasn't wealthy enough to buy his way out of a rendezvous with those symbols, and neither can we. For the blessing of receiving the greatest of all possessions, the gift of eternal life, it is little enough that we are asked to stay the course in following the high priest of our profession, our day star, advocate, and king. I testify with obscure Amalekai of old that each of us is to offer our whole souls as an offering unto him. And now we return to the Book of Mormon account in verse 16. Aaron says unto him, If thou desirest this thing, if thou wilt bow down before God, yea, if thou wilt repent of all thy sins, and will bow down before God, and call on his name in faith, believing that ye shall receive, then shalt thou receive the hope which thou desirest. And it came to pass that when Aaron had said these words, the king did bow down before the Lord upon his knees, yea, even he did prostrate himself upon the earth, and cried mightily, saying, O God, Aaron hath told me there is a God, and if there is a God, and if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known unto me, and I will give away all my sins to know thee, and that I may be raised from the dead, and be saved at the last day. And now when the king had said these words, he was struck as if he were dead. So, if I can say two things. When we just listened to Elder Holland, and he said the greatest possession is that of eternal life, and King Lamoni understands that 100%. Mm-hmm. 
and he he says he'll give away his sins to know thee that he can be saved at the last day right he understands that he wants us eternal life and that his earthly possessions don't mean a thing and so there's that connection to elder holland's talk in the the quote that we just listened to but also i just realized as you were reading this account i don't know how i missed it but there's something about bowing down before the lord it's said three times so in 17 it says um sorry it's 16 if that will bow down before God. And then he says, if that will repent. And then he says, and will bow down before God. So twice he says it in verse 16. And then in 17, we see the king did bow down before the Lord. So three times this act of bowing down before God. Um, to me, the connection I made there was that humility to bow down and to realize that this is God and he sent his son so that I can be saved, right? at the last day. So I just had those thoughts when you were reading. And that's why when when we pray, we kneel, we bow down, and we bow our head. And um, it represents humility, uh, showing that we, we need guidance. Now we don't know anything that the Lord does, right? We know some things, but it's all because of him and his guidance in our life. So yeah. I just had those thoughts as you were reading. Yeah. So. Well, we have a little bit of a, um, uh, I guess, deja vu here. Because uh, the, the same. It's very similar to King Lamoni. Right. Right? His son. Sorry, I keep calling this king his father. I keep calling him King Lamoni too, but they're similar. They're so similar. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't, we don't know his name, so we just have to call him Lamoni's father. Um, or the king. Or the king. Anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> he he falls down as if struck dead. And some things start to unfold. In verse 19, um, the servants who were present at the time, they ran to tell the queen all which happened. And she came in and she sees the king laying there as if dead. Mm -hmm. and, she and she sees Aaron and his brethren standing as though they had been the cause of his fall. <laughs> that's not, that's not a good, you know, kind of like, Oh, like I could just see it like deer in the headlights. Like what? Right. Yeah. No, I see it. And she was angry with them, commanded that her servants or the servants of the King should take them and slay them. And the servants kind of, uh, take up, uh, defense for Aaron and his brethren because they were there at the time and they explain um, what happened, right? They plead. They say, why commandest thou that we should slay these men when behold, one of them is mightier than us all. Therefore, we shall fall before them. Um, they already know. Right. I just have to point out something really quick. When the queen got, queen, sorry, when the queen got angry, um, I always like to make this connection that blame – Brene Brown, Dr. Brene Brown, if you guys know her, blame is the discharge of discomfort and pain. And so that's why she got angry because she doesn't like seeing her husband there, you know, as of dead. So she gets angry. And so that's where she's acting from this place of trying to find blame for what's happening. Um, but anyway, so she's blaming Aaron. And I misspoke. It's not that the servants are defending Aaron and his brethren. They're explaining that Hey, they just made the king fall down as of dead, and 
we're not able to we're not do anything. Gonna, we're not going to touch them because right. we don't want to fall dead either. <laughs> so, so the queen then tells the servants, "We'll go get all the people, and we'll just we'll just swarm them, right? If you are not enough to to slay them, take them and slay them, then go get all the people." And in verse 22, when Aaron saw the determination of the queen, <laughs> that's a nice way of saying it, right? Yeah. He also, knowing the hardness of the hearts of the people, feared lest that a multitude should assemble themselves together and there should be a great contention and a disturbance among them. Therefore, he put forth his hand and raised the king from the earth and said unto him, Stand, and he stood upon his feet, receiving his strength. It's interesting because in King Lamoni's story, he falls to the ground as if dead and some things go on and then the queen falls as if dead and then all the people show up and they're contending. Because Well, yes, Abish goes and tells everybody what happens. Just had to throw it out there. Thanks, Abish. And... Everybody shows up and they're starting to contend with one another. Everybody's, right. oh, this is the great spirit who's always helping the Nephites. And oh no, you know, Ammon, he's uh he's in league with the devil, you know, and like all this stuff. Hmm. Aaron sees that if everybody shows up, that's exactly what's gonna happen here. Hmm. And so he stretches forth his hand and he raises the king. And it reminded me way back in chapter 8 of the book of Alma, verse 31, when it describes the power given to Alma and Amulek, and it explains that um, this power was given unto them insomuch that they could not be confined in dungeons, neither was it able or possible that any man could slay them. Nevertheless, they did not exercise their power until they were bound in, in bands and cast into prison, now, this was done that the Lord might show forth his power in them. So <clears throat> the reason that I I reference that is that, I mean, Aaron and his brethren, they've always been, they've already been cast into prison. They've already been delivered. And that was a way of Ammon showing the Lord's power. Well, in this situation... The way that they're going to show the Lord's power is to raise the king right there in front of the queen, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. It was, it was the will of the Lord, the the order of these things. I just thought it was that was needful that I I referenced that. Um, so do you have something to, to add? No, I was just going to continue with yeah. the story. Verse twenty three. Uh, now it was done in the presence of the queen many of the servants. And when they saw it, they greatly marveled and began to fear. And the king stood forth and began to minister unto them. And he did minister unto them insomuch that his whole household were converted unto the Lord. I just have to say here that the queen was very angry, right? And she was trying to assemble all these things. And so it was expedient that as you said earlier, that the king, you know, Aaron goes and makes him stand and uses that power. It was expedient that the king be the one to minister to them, not Aaron. Um, 
I don't necessarily know why, mm. but it had to come from the king. I don't think anyone was going to believe Aaron because the king has such great power and is, I mean, remember they're rooted in, in wicked traditions and, and old things. And so for it to come from the king, it's got to have way more impact. Um, and so it reminded me that at this point, we know that the king has a testimony. He's built, he's building upon it. He is, knows these things. And so I was reminded of the verse uh, that in Luke twenty two thirty two, and it says, "And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren." Hmm. And so, King, the King here, he has become converted, and then he immediately is strengthening his brethren, and his whole household becomes converted as well. Yeah, you know something that that I thought of there, and I actually wrote it in the margins of the next chapter when it talks about this proclamation is the influence that a, a leader can have mm. when they choose to follow after righteousness, when they, when they decide to follow the Lord. Unfortunately, it can be said for the other way too. Absolutely. Right. King uh, Noah is an example of that. Right. <laughs> he caused his people to become wicked yeah. and to sin. But yeah, I get what you're saying. So no, I mean, that's perfect. Like we see in the Book of Mormon, the, the power uh, of leaders influence on their people. Mm -hmm. And in the in the, the land of Nephi, and then also in the land of Ishmael, um, where we see that we see the people being converted, like in mass, because of their leaders faith and conversion. So also at this point, um, there's a multitude that's starting to gather as well, because remember the queen was trying to get everyone to be gathered. And so there is some murmurings happen, murmurings, <laughs> weird word, mm -hmm. but there's basically people like wondering what's going on. Um, and because the king is there, he, he says to everyone, it says, and they were pacified towards Aaron and those that were with him. Because the king basically administers unto them and tells them that, you know, everything's okay. And so at this point, it says, and it came in 26, and it came to pass that when the king saw that the people were pacified, he caused that Aaron and his brethren should stand forth in the midst of the multitude, that they should preach the word unto them. So once he got them calmed down, uh, you know, not all contentious, he's like, it's okay, it's okay. Aaron then begins to teach to the people there that were gathered because the yeah. queen had sent them to be gathered. Right. And so, yeah. So a, a huge paradigm shift occurs in all the land at this point, mm -hmm. uh, because Aaron and his brethren were able to make such progress with the king. Um, he sends out a proclamation um, over the whole land mm -hmm. and, you know, he, he granted religious freedom for the land of Ishmael, but now he's going to grant that religious freedom for everybody, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> That's right. And it talks about that in the next chapter. And so, um, I think that's where we're going to end. Okay. <laughs> and then we're going to pick up there. Now, what's interesting is that there's still quite a few verses in chapter 22 that we haven't got to yet there's 
27 through 35. So let's let's explain what we're doing next week then. Next week, we're going to continue with the narrative, mm-hmm. if you will. Which will start in Alma 23. Right. We're going to pick up and we're going to talk all about this proclamation, the implications, the hand of the Lord mm-hmm. in all of it. And we're going to talk about how, yeah, how it, how it impacts the land. And then we're going to kind of double back and talk about why it was necessary, why we believe Mormon decided to discuss the divisions among the people, geographical um, divisions and mm-hmm. separation of the people throughout the land. Um, so we're kind of pulling a Mormon here. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Where we're going to pause and go to the next chapter and then we're going to come back. <laughs> Yeah. So, and we'll finish it all up next week. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we have time in the week, we could even do a like a mini podcast, and then do another one on Sunday. I don't know. We'll talk about it after the podcast, <laughs> but we could. We actually have a second podcast to record this week. Mm-hmm. We have uh, our conference talk yep. podcast episode. Um, and if y'all don't know, we do have another podcast um currently it's being headed up by our friend michael or matthew excuse me um there's also a michael there too (laughs) (laughs) and there's a bunch of people who are all collaborating on that podcast project and we just discussed the the talks of general conference and so if you don't know where to get that then go to our website, ChristCenterConversations.org, and you can find it there. Yep. It's pretty cool. I think you will you guys will like all the different perspectives and people and voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's seven of us that share that duty, I guess you want to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's that. So we'll be with you again to discuss the rest of chapter 20 or er, Ultimately, the rest of chapter 22 and 23 in Alma. So, adios, amigos. Bye, y'all.